Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Once again, I am so glad that you're joining me on this episode. And if you haven't checked out the listener's commentary just yet, man, I would encourage you to do that. One listener by the name of Sean actually recommended using them for your daily devotions, reading through the text, listening to my explanation of the text, and and then really reflecting prayerfully on how to live that out. It's great use of that that resource over there at the listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com. It's really just a platform where I'm just teaching straight through Bible books with an emphasis on helping you understand what they're actually saying. So if you haven't checked that out, swing over to the listenerscommentary.com. I've got uh, five complete books up there. I've got part of Ephesians up there as well, working slowly through the book of Ephesians on that. So check that out. Let me know what you think. All right, we have been in a series here on this podcast where we are really looking at what it means to follow Jesus in our time and our place in history, that when, when Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us out of the current culture we're living in and into his kingdom. And becoming a part of his kingdom means there's just some new things we're going to have to learn. Now that we're a son or a daughter of God, now that we are part of the kingdom of Jesus, we're going to have to learn the culture of, the way of life of that kingdom. We've used the word re-socializing to capture this relearning that we have to do. We're going to have to unlearn some values and practices of the culture we live in and grew up in, and it was the dominant culture that shaped our experience, that shaped our life, and we're going to have to learn new values, new practices, new ways of doing life, re-socializing or reculturing, if you will. That's what we've been focusing on. In today's episode, I want to focus on a very specific area that I just think in our modern world is just critical for us to really think about, think through, be intentional with, and just continue to wrestle with. It's not going to be easy. What we're going to talk about today really is going to force us to, to in some ways, resist so much of the atmosphere and environment in which we live, at least in America, and maybe in places like Canada and Britain and Australia and other places, those Western individualized countries, man, you're going to have to resist a whole bunch of things in order to live this one out. It's going to take some courage. It's going to be hard. It's going to kind of, we're going to move forward in it with fits and starts, but it's just so critically important for us, all right? And that issue has to do with really how we think about, how we feel about, how we approach our time and our tasks in life, our time and our tasks in life. We're going to have to have a different approach to time, a different approach to accomplishment and achievement with regard to our tasks, different metrics for measuring effectiveness and success with use of our time and accomplishment and achievement. If we're going to actually live within the kingdom of Jesus, we're going to have to do some things different with regard to our time and our tasks. Interestingly enough, I've been I just finished working through, reading through John Mark Comer's recent book entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm familiar with the phrase that became the title of that book from John Ortberg. I actually heard that phrase, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, from John Ortberg a handful of years ago, referencing uh, advice that was given to him from Dallas Willard. 
John Ortberg actually reached out to Dallas Willard, who was one of his chief spiritual directors, spiritual mentors, and just kind of talked about ministry, talked about his life, talked about where he was, how he was feeling spiritually, and asked Dallas, you know, what advice he would give. And Dallas paused, and then out of the silence of his pause says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. I just don't know that most of us would respond that way. And yet there's incredible wisdom in Dallas's words. Um, had an experience a handful of years ago where I spent about nine, ten days in Haiti. Just long enough to get kind of the flavor of life there. And as I was flying back home from Haiti, one of the things that I really wanted to try to do was embody really the, the rhythm of time that I experienced while I was in Haiti, that you get up kind of with the sun, you kind of go to bed early when the sun goes down, it's near the equator, so 6.15, 6.30, sun comes up, 6.15, 6.30, sun goes down, that's sort of the rhythm of life. You operate more on the basis, at least for the 10 days I was there, I operated more on the basis of tasks rather than just working via time. And I really felt as if my internal rhythm evened out, slowed down, and I kind of got into a rhythm of life. Even though it was only a week and a half, it's like, man, I wish I could live that way in my ordinary, everyday life here in Boise, Idaho. And I wanted to try to recapture that. And I found that it was just really, really hard to do that. And, and so this idea of time and tasks and rhythm of life, I, I think there's something for us to think about within Jesus' kingdom. And so what I want to do uh, on this episode is I want to look at just a couple passages of Scripture that help help us just maybe rethink um, how we view time. And then I want to offer just some suggested practices for trying to begin to resist what uh, I believe is our culture's, uh, I guess, kind of, I don't know, misuse of time that's kind of out of sync with even the way God made the universe to work and what God is calling us back to and reorienting us to in his kingdom. So I want to give some, some practices for how to live that out. All right, so we'll look at some text, and then we'll talk about some practices. The first text I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says this, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore, which pay attention to that. When you see a therefore, we're, we're stating a conclusion from something that's been talked about previously. We'll come back to that here in a second. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's just explain a few things in that passage. Therefore, obviously, as I noted, it says we need to pay attention to the preceding context. Preceding context, two notes I just want to make uh, out of the preceding context. First one is, once again, just like in the episode we talked about last week, Paul grounds these words in our identity, our new identity in Christ. He says in the preceding context, you're no longer darkness. You are now light in the Lord. That's your identity. So you've been given a new identity because you've moved into a new realm. You're a child of God, and now you're light in the, the Lord. So live that out. Live as children of light, he says. So that's the preceding context. You've been given this new identity. And then the other thing to note out of that is this idea of 
darkness and light and the uh, evil practices of darkness. He talks all about that in the preceding context. Now he says, therefore, based on that, based on the fact that you're not darkness anymore, you're light, based on the fact that the pr predominant culture around you is marked by darkness, therefore, he says, be careful how you walk. Literally, pay attention to how you walk. Watch it. Right? Like, pay attention to it. That's the idea of be careful in Greek. It's to really look at, study, pay attention, be mindful of how you walk. And walking is just the dominant imagery in the New Testament for going about life. Why? Well, because in the ancient world, how did you get from your home to the marketplace? You walked. How did you get from the marketplace to the gymnasium? You walked. How did you get from the gymnasium to the bathhouse? You walked to the theater. You walked, right? Like walking was how you got where you wanted to go. And so it really becomes the imagery for just going about your life. And, and so be careful how you walk. Be careful how you go about life, how you get from one place to another and how you go about your life. Not as unwise men, but as wise, he says, making the most of your time. Literally, that phrase is redeeming the time. And he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And that word redeeming, um, when it's used literally, always refers to setting something free, usually by some sort of cost, some sort of you know, exertion of energy, some sort of literal money financial cost, like you pay a price to set someone or something free. That's the idea of redeeming. Notice that redeeming the time is the idea of, I think, um, setting the time free from those evil days that that there's enough darkness and evil in the world around us that it has taken time and made it captive to evil and we're supposed to redeem it we're supposed to pay a price to set time free from evil in our own life and in our own sphere of influence that's the idea so it's going to take intentionality it's going to take attention to detail be careful pay attention redeem it it's going to take effort there's going to be a price to be paid to do that to redeem the time from evil so do that and then he states another conclusion therefore then so then don't be foolish right you're gonna to have to be wise about this your head's gonna to have to be in the game uh, but understand what the will of the lord is you're going to learn how to live out god's will as you redeem the time this tells us some very important things about just about time in general and that um, we live in a world where time can be co-opted by and taken captive by evil forces, evil ideas, evil practices, evil behaviors, right? And our time and mankind's time then can be filled up with those things and can be used in evil ways. And our job as followers of Jesus is to set it free from that. So we have a responsibility to really be thoughtful about, mindful of, uh, wise about what we're doing with our time. It's the first passage that I want to think, think about. Second passage comes from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17 says, Come now, you who say, a little story, a little illustration, a little parable here. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city, uh, spend a year there, and engage in business and make a profit. So what we have is the picture of some businessman who's got a, uh, a business venture that he wants to um, take advantage of, and he's going to travel to a specific city where he thinks he can 
you know, set up this business and make a profit. And so he's confident about it. He's confident about that. And so today or tomorrow, we're going to move there. We're going to travel there. We're going to spend a whole year there. And we're going to engage in business. Boom, we're going to make a profit. Um, James's response is, but you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You can't see around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away like your breath on a cold morning, right? Just and it's gone. You're just a vapor. It's there for a second, and then it's gone. That's how your life is. It's short. This is important when we think about our life and our time. What James just told us is two things. You don't know the future. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. And your life is incredibly brief. It's incredibly short, right? So he gives us advice, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And this isn't a perfunctory sort of Christian formula. Well, if God wills, this is a real posture of the soul, an attitude of the heart that humbles ourselves before God, recognizes we don't have control of the future. We don't even have control of the outcomes of our life. We don't even know if we're going to be around tomorrow. So we have to live our life with this humble, open-handed posture before God saying, if God permits, if God allows, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that secures my life. He's the one that is in charge of the outcomes of my life and brings things to pass. So if God permits, we're going to do this or that, and this will be the outcome. And so we live with this humble posture before God. Otherwise, James says, we're boasting in our arrogance, and that's evil. All right. And so here again, important insights to our tasks and our time and the outcomes of those tasks and achievement and accomplishment. The posture of soul with which we should live is this humble posture before God where we just entrust our life to him and we recognize we're, we're kind of counting on him here. We don't really know what the future holds. And then the third passage I want us to just look at real quickly, just a couple excerpts from it, is Psalm 90. Psalm 90, which is a really important text for thinking about time and tasks in our life. Psalm 90 is set against the backdrop of God's eternal being, that God has been around forever. And so Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or before you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so here's this God for whom he has this massive scope of history, like from everlasting to everlasting. Like part of the reason God's not in a rush is because God has this immense perspective on things, right? And then from there, Psalm 90 goes into this really graphic uh, portrayal of the brevity of life, couching it even under the wrath of God that death is going to happen. That's just the consequence that's going to happen in life. Maybe somebody lives 70 years. Man, if they have strength, they might make 80, right? So this brevity of life in view of, particularly against the contrast of everlasting to everlasting. Our life is so short. And so, notice this. This is so important. Verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12. So, he says, in view of God being everlasting to everlasting, in view of how short our life is, and that even in that shortness, it's marked by difficulty and hardship. So, verse 12, teach us to number our days. Like, he's thinking in terms of our life's span. Being aware of the brevity of life. Recognize we don't have tons of time. Teach us to be mindful of the brevity of life and to number our days. We don't have forever. 
we don't live from everlasting to everlasting, right? Like when it comes to life on earth, number our days so that we may present to you, O God, a heart of wisdom. And that seems to be the major outcome he wants for his life here is teach us to number our days so that we, we can gain wisdom, a heart of wisdom. And then towards the end of the psalm, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish for us the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Again, it's that same posture reflected in James chapter 4, where we're entrusting the work of our hands to God, and we're entrusting the outcome of our life to God. Now, with that in mind, let's just talk about um, some suggestions for how do we live this out? How do we organize our life this way, right? We're responsible to redeem the time. We're responsible to set it free from evil. We need to make sure we're paying attention to how we do that. Our life is brief and short-lived, and we don't even have control of the outcomes of our life. So we live with this humble, God-oriented posture with an open hand, entrusting our future tasks, our future endeavors to God, entrusting the outcomes of our work and our life to God, right? That we were asking God to teach us to number our days, mindful of the brevity of life. This is a whole different approach to time than I think we have in the modern world, particularly in the modern West, where the, the view of time is measured in hours and minutes and seconds, not in a lifespan, the number of our days, not in terms of um, a whole year or a whole season, right? Like we don't think in those ways. We think in hours and minutes and seconds. And that, I think that's co-opted. In fact, in this book by John Ortberg, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he has a whole chapter on a brief history of speed. And he just talks about our growing awareness of time and over the course of human history, how we've developed sundials and clocks and all these things to measure time and how, you know, and also we have the electrical light bulb and how that changed our relationship to time and made us get more done and lessened the amount of sleep we got. All of this that the modern world in a lot of ways has violated the rhythm that God wove into the universe. And as we come into Christ's kingdom, we're, we're, we're to recapture that rhythm in some regard and to recognize we live under God, we live for God, and there's a rhythm to life we're supposed to capture. So as we as we reculture, right, as we re-socialize in Jesus' kingdom, we become mindful of his way of doing life, what are some things that would help us have a better relationship to time? And let me just offer a few suggestions. Take them for what they're worth. One is I just think margins, margins. Sometimes we try to cram so much into our day, so much into our week, so much into a month that it's like, as if you think about a piece of paper that's got writing on it. I mean, the writing goes, there's no margins. The writing goes clear from top to bottom, clear to the margins. It's cluttered, right? Single space, it's, it's super small font. There's just tons packed in there. And it's just like, and it's no wonder that, Right, like we at that at that pace, we just we just can't live a healthy life. We can't attend to people. We can't attend to God. We get irritable. We get we get frustrated. We're feeling like we're always behind, and we just feel right. Like there's no margin. So don't don't plan your day that way. Don't plan your week that way. Um, less is more. Put margins in your life intentionally and deliberately. Think big picture. Think long term. 
put margins into your days, margins into your week, margins into your life. First suggestion. Second suggestion is practice the discipline of slowing. This was first suggested to me again by John Ortberg in his book, The Life You Always Wanted. And it's really his book on spiritual disciplines. And one of the disciplines he mentions is just slowing. I'm not good at this. True confessions. Not good at this. Uh, I tend to be in a hurry, right? I tend to, uh, if I'm driving down the street and all of a sudden I see, oh, that lane has two cars at the light. This lane has four. I'm going to change lanes, right? Like, this isn't good for me. I need to practice slowing. Um, so practice the discipline of slowing. Like, actively find ways to slow down. Uh, walk slower. Uh at, at times, get in the long line at the grocery store or be willing to just stay in your lane in traffic rather than trying to zip through traffic changing lanes. Just slow down. Practice this as a discipline to try to slow down your in, internal rhythm, your internal speed so that you, you go through life at a walking pace. Be careful how you walk, not run, not race. Walk. Learn to go at a walking pace pace, a walking pace. In fact, this quote that uh, um, Comer has in his book really is challenging for me. It's actually by a guy named Walter Adams, who was the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis. This is what uh, Walter Adams says. He says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Did you catch that? Hurry doesn't, doesn't make our work better, doesn't help our work. It spoils it and impedes it. And yet, so much of the time, at least for me and so many people I know, we're hurrying through everything. We're trying to just get stuff done and we're racing through life. And, and Walter Adams says, that's going to spoil your work. It's not going to advance it. It's not going to make it better. It's going to spoil it. To walk with Jesus is to walk at a slow, unhurried pace. So practice slowing, practice slowing. Uh, the, the third suggestion I'd have is when we think about learning to redeem the time, learning to live with this humble posture before God, right? Learning to gain a heart of wisdom and number our days. I would suggest this, practice simply receiving and entrusting the time and the tasks of your life receiving your time and your tasks as a gift from God and entrusting them back to God for him to do what he wants with. Receiving and entrusting, receiving and entrusting that your time and your tasks are a gift from God. So receive them gladly and then entrust them to him to do what he wants with it, right? Like, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Lord, thank you for the gift of my life. Thank you for the gift of this day. Today, I receive whatever you have for me today. And I entrust it back to you to do with it what you want for your purposes and for your honor. So, God, I receive this day and I entrust it to you. Do what you want with it. There's a humility in that. There's an open-handedness in that that helps us realize that God's in charge and we're not. And uh, it's really related to this idea that you see in Psalm 90, 
establish the work of my hands. I, I regularly even just pray that simple line, establish the work of my hands, O God, for your purposes and for your honor. So take what I'm doing and do with it what you want and establish it for your good purposes. And then just trust him with it and trust him with it, right? Like, so receiving and entrusting. Um, there's an act of faith in that. Like when you can't see the outcome of your work, when you can't even quantify your accomplishment, some days are like that, some weeks are like that, some particular jobs are like that. Much of ministry, where I've spent most of my life, is like that. Like You don't always know the, the impact of your work. I stand up, I preach a sermon on a Sunday morning, I don't know the impact of my work. I do a podcast, I teach the Bible, I don't even know who all is listening to my podcast. I'm entrusting this in faith that God will do something with it. There's an act of faith in this, this humility of recognizing God's eternal, God's all-powerful, God knows the future, God's in charge of the outcomes. My job is just to receive the time and the task he's given me, do the best I can with them, and offer them to him. So receiving and entrusting the, the time and the tasks of your life. And then lastly, the last... Uh, Suggestion I would have is just this idea of rhythm. If there is a rhythm to the way God created the world, and it's a rhythm that we need to learn to, to really live in sync with. Um, and that rhythm, you see it really in the creation account in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, where there's evening and there's morning the first day. There was evening and there is morning the second day. Notice we're measuring by terms of just the sun going down, the sun coming up. We're measuring by the great lights in the sky that God put, the sun and the moon. And so God, in Genesis chapter 1, he put the sun and the moon and the stars to mark off the days and the seasons, it says, Genesis chapter 1. And we learn to live in sync with that rhythm, not in, in rhythm with the alarm clock, not in rhythm with uh, hours and minutes and seconds and racing between those and measuring the effectiveness of our life by how much we can squeeze into every minute or every hour of the day. We learn more to live in terms of the rhythm, the natural rhythm that God wove into the universe where it's a rhythm for days and a week and seasons. And that sort of biblical time, uh, evening, morning, week, Sabbath, uh, seasons of life and all of that. Um, and we need to learn to recapture that rhythm. Now, in the world we live in, um, driven as it is by clocks, uh, our jobs and some of the things, we're going to have to be aware of hours, right? We have to show up at meetings if it's at 10 o'clock at 10 o'clock. So we're going to have to be aware of time and hours if we're going to function in the modern world. And yet, we can resist being completely conformed to that if we will evaluate our life and our effectiveness in terms of the rhythm that God wove into creation, where it's more about days and weeks and seasons and years rather than in terms of hours and minutes. So we measure our life and we evaluate the effectiveness of our life uh, in terms of uh, evening and morning the first day, in terms of the weekly rhythm of work and rest and then work again and then rest again. And this rhythm, we begin to get in sync. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy in the modern world. We're going to have to resist the unnatural pull of the modern world towards minutes and hours. We're going to have to resist that. And we're going to have to learn how to measure the rhythm of our life in terms of 
this rhythm that we see in the creation account of Scripture. But if we can learn to get in term, get in sync with that more and more, I think we'll find more peace, more joy, more gratitude, more gladness. That's what I experienced when I was in Haiti. It was more naturally oriented towards this kind of rhythm. And my soul felt healthier, even after a week and a half. There was peace, more peace in my heart, rather than hurry and distraction and rush and feeling hectic all the time. There was more peace, more of a, a natural rhythm. It's like, man, I want to try to figure out how to recapture that, even in modern Western culture where the clock seems to rule our life. I want to put the clock in its place and I want to put God's rhythm. In, in, uh, let that really be the driving force of my life so that I live um, in sync with the way God made the universe. I live with the grain of God's view of time, not against the grain uh, because of the modern Western view of time. So those are just a handful of suggestions that I think will help us re-socialize better and really um, live our life in view of time, to redeem the time because the days are evil, to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, to uh, have a heart of wisdom and number my the days of my life and be aware that it's brief, right? Like, I want to live this way. I think God wants us to live this way. I think this is an important place where we need to we need to, to begin to figure out how to live according to Jesus' culture. Like when you look at Jesus in the gospel, does Jesus seem harried, hectic, and hurried, rushing here and there, and frenetic in his pace about life, and frantic about what he's accomplishing, and you know, kind of like all uptight? Like, does Jesus seem that way? No. Jesus seems to be walking through life at a, in sync with the rhythm of the universe at an appropriate pace, attending to the people in his life and getting done what he needs to get done. And Jesus, like he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. If anyone should have had a Messiah complex, it should have been him. And he didn't organize his life according to a Messiah complex. He wasn't trying to pack too much into his days. He was he, was, he knew his calling and his vocation, and he lived it. He lived it, and he received each day as a gift from God. He entrusted the tasks of the day to God. He seems to have lived out Psalm 90, established the work of my hands, and he didn't seem all at a living life at a crazy, breakneck, ruthless pace. I want to live like Jesus. And now that I've come into his kingdom, now that I'm a part of his family, I want to learn from him how to live that kind of life. And I want you to learn that too, because when we do, I think there'll be greater joy like Jesus, greater peace like Jesus, greater love like Jesus. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Man, I hope that's helpful to you as you just prayerfully begin to reflect on your relationship to time and tasks as a child of God. May God bless your week this week. May God bless your life as you seek Him and serve Him in all of your endeavors. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again soon.